I've got I've got hair oil on me ears and me glasses slipping down but baby I can see through you Welcome to Friars and the Farm uh I'm Donovan uh and with me is Roy are your are your is your headset staying on your head or is it slipping off? You've got Dude, you need some sticky stuff on your ears. Where did you get that? You sent me that. Okay, guys, he sent me this via text at work. I'm like, did your phone get hacked, dude? Because it doesn't say anything. It just says YouTube, and you know that's usually how your you know whenever you get you know your phone is hacked or your Facebook gets hacked, you know that your friend sends you, hey, is this you? You know, and I'm like, dude. Did you- did you get hacked? He's like, no. You thought I, I was. You thought I was fishing you. And no, I, I. I searched. I wanted to find songs about ears, about and there were some that came out. Like Craig Mack had a rap song called "Flavor in Your Ear" back in the day that was a, kind of a hit. But then I saw that and like something about hair oil on my ears, and I listened to that line. And I'm like, oh my god, this is perfect. Oh my god, that is fucking glass. Is Buck Show Walter? We are on to you. We are on to you. So what we're going to do, we're going to talk a little bit about the minor leagues. We're going to talk a few minutes about, you know, Storm Championship uh, and, you know, and then the uh, Chihuahuas, uh, not exactly all losing, you know, going to the championship game in, uh, in Las Vegas. And then we're going to talk about the series. I mean, there's, this is the big, this is the big deal to talk about right now. And it's incredible. Uh, I, um, you know, the world could have burned today and I wouldn't have cared. My restaurant no? could have burned to the ground. I did that. Meh. I'll call later. I'm I'm good. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, call in sick. Well, so now the the regular the minor league season is over, yeah. uh, and we haven't had a chance to get together to really put a cap on things. No, we haven't. We've been both real busy. Work's been busy for me, and you've been busy, and we just hasn't lined up. So we're obviously several weeks late on talking about you know the storm winning the championship game. I watched every one of those games. Uh, it was phenomenal. They haven't won a they haven't won a championship in what eleven years. Yeah, it's been a long time. Uh, but what a fun, exciting team to watch. And yeah. the the thing that struck out that stuck with me was just Jackson Merrill being so locked in every moment, making plays both in the field and at the plate. Uh, but also pumping his teammates up and yeah. like he really seems like an engaged kind of a guy. And uh, there's a natural leadership quality to him. Yeah, absolutely. Kind of like when you see you know, Manny Machado in the top step, you know, first one out of the dugout after a home run, you saw him running out on the field. In Anytime they scored a run, he's out there running, jumping around, you know, high-fiving. Absolutely love seeing that. And then he backs it up with play. And that's the big thing is like being a leader, it, it's not a Hosmer situation where like you're a leader, um, but then you don't really back it up on the field. But this kid is backing it up on the field, so much like Manny Machado. Uh, we're going to talk about him in a minute. For he's on the hot sheet for the Arizona Fall League. Um, really, you know, you and you thought with with the storm, you would think that after you know, you know, when Merrill went, went down, and both of them, uh, Merrill Jackson and um, James Wood, and James Wood both went down, you thought the team would go okay. The team's not going to do so well. Hell, they did really well. And, and they, they did great. They, yeah, they, they won the pace. first half. Yeah, and they kept pace. Um, my, uh, you know, we don't this is in, in the script or anything, but kind of my guy for uh, for this year at for the storm. Obviously, Jackson Merrill is the is the top prospect there, but uh, you know, Marcos Castagnon has a breakout first year in A ball, hitting what did he hit? Uh, Twenty one home runs. I think I think he tied the record for um, most home runs by a A ball player. Right, that wasn't named Fernando Tatis Junior. 
<laughs> right? Yeah, in the Padres organization. Yeah, he uh he wound up batting 261, 397, 485 on the season, uh, with 23 home runs and yeah. 85 RBIs in 117 games. Um, just an outstanding season. Yeah, and for a guy that, that didn't do much last year, uh, in his first year in pro ball. Uh, to just hit the ground running and and kick butt all season. He was the consistent you because early in the year you had Max Ferguson and Lucas Dunn there, and then yeah. they moved on, and then people came and went. But the one constant there was Marcos Castagnon yeah. holding it down at the plate, playing outstanding defense at third base. He's definitely somebody to watch as he moves up. Yeah, and then some of the guys that came in from the draft, uh, really tearing it up too. A guy I don't have any of that information on me right now. Yeah, well, what stood out – so Victor Lizarraga, uh, yeah. I think he was named – so we he were at the game named, last weekend. He was yeah. named the Padres Minor League Pitcher of the Year, and they named Eggy Rosario as the Minor League Position Player of the Year. They had both the guys out of Petco Park. Uh, I think it was it was the final game of the season. It was yeah. last Wednesday. Um, and it was really neat to see Victor brought down there. But Victor made the start in the championship game. Uh, Duncan Snyder uh, – uh, came in and 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 backed him up, um, and those guys just shoved and they they kept Fresno off balance the whole game. It was a three two victory, so it was a close game uh, versus the game one where they blew Fresno out. Um, but you know, congratulations to those guys for bringing it home. Yeah, absolutely. And then moving down to uh, the El Paso, you know, once again, I watched all those series, but it was so long ago, and I have just been so swamped at work that I had nothing down here on the agenda. But I remember that game, a groom. Uh, Jay, uh, Jay Groom, Jay Groom, Jay Groom. Yeah, he, he he pitched really well, but he only gave and he gave up a couple runs. But just you know, on on the offensive side for the Chihuahuas, they just couldn't get anything going. I don't know who was pitching um against them, but man, they just seemed to roll over everything and just not they just couldn't get it going. And it was a yeah, tough it, loss. it doesn't help that they were playing in in Las Vegas, which is kind of a strange scoring in, uh environment anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, you between the wind and the heat and the altitude, uh, it's just a, a weird place to play. Uh, you know, but credit for them to, for getting there in the first place because it was a it was a race right down to the finish. Yeah. So unlike the storm, the storm won the first half of the season, so they were in. They knew for a couple of months that they were going to be playing a postseason series. Where the Chihuahuas, they were chasing the uh, the Omaha, uh, or I'm sorry, the Oklahoma City Dodgers. Yeah the whole second half and they finally surpassed them with like a week left in the season with that crazy stretch of wins that they put on. So just to get to that championship game was a huge accomplishment. Absolutely. So I uh, saw somebody tweet out an interesting little factoid that uh, Robinson Cano was a member of the Padres. He was a member of the Mets. He was a member of Atlanta so right there, he's got a pretty good chance of getting a championship ring, being at one time on the roster of three different teams that made the yeah. postseason. Well, Tim Haggerty, uh, El Paso play-by-play guy, he retweeted that and pointed out that, oh, hey, he was also on the roster for the El Paso Chihuahuas, and they yeah. were pretty darn close from winning their own championship. And I don't know if the AAA guys get a bonus or they don't think they get anything other than maybe a ring, like you said, um, for, for winning, but heck, what the hell? Maybe they take everybody at a round table and they get a sack of quarters so they can go play some video games. That's what oh happened to us when we won our little league championship. Oh, that's a, got a, a pizza party with a little extra prize. Yeah, that's and that's crazy how you know such a such a you know I don't know veteran player moved to those three teams that you know you would think playoff teams don't need 
to pick up someone like that or just kind of really off the scrap heap uh, and put him on the roster. But he seemed to hit all the right teams. And that's going to that's got to be some kind of Elias Sports Bureau kind of trivia in the future. Yeah, get Jason Stark on the on the scene. No, if, uh, if if one of those teams winds up making it, hopefully it's the Padres, and he, and then somehow they bring him back to San Diego so they can present him with his ring. Uh, but then that's something that Jason Stark would have to put into one of his uh, one of his great articles talking about all the wacky things that happens in in the sport of baseball. Yeah, so that for that El Paso game, they uh, Groom gave up four runs in the second. And that was about it until the sixth and the seventh inning. They scored a couple more runs. You know, they had to all the El Paso had 11 hits. Uh, Reno only had 10. They just couldn't string any of them together for more, you know, to score more than just two runs. So like, tough way to end the season. But heck, you had, you know, Eddie Rosario had a great season. Matthew Batten, who saw time on the major league team. Uh, Taylor Callaway, who's definitely going to see major league time somewhere next year. Right. It sounds like he's he's eligible for free, for free agency yeah. after this season. So chances are he'll walk and sign somewhere else, uh, but he's going to get an opportunity somewhere. You just know it. Yeah. So let's move on a little bit more of the uh, more current minor league news. And that's, yeah, uh, last time we yeah. got together, we discussed the rosters for the uh, El pa- the uh, the Peoria Javelinas of the Arizona Fall League. Yeah. So right handed pitcher Alec Jacob, who reached triple A this July, Less than a year after the Padres drafted him in the 16th round, tossed two more scoreless innings for the Peoria. Uh, that was what, yesterday. Now he's he now he has four and a third innings pitched without allowing a run. Yeah, he's like a crafty. You hear about the soft tossing lefty, the crafty lefty. He's the right-handed version of that. He comes from that extreme sidearm, unusual slot. And it sounds like there's a lot of deception and some funk in his delivery. He's got a lot of motion. Doesn't throw super hard. But he's gotten outs everywhere he went, so he just kept climbing the ladder, and uh, now he's showing what he's gotten in uh, in Peoria. You know, and it's really tough with uh, you know thinking of that soft tosses. The, the Matthew Waldron, um, Waldron, just he, you know, it's going to need another season in AAA to see if that knuckleball is going to be able to to make it to the big leagues. Uh, he seemed to struggle a little bit. They just, you know, I don't know what is it with with that kind of pitch but the triple a guys just he just got eaten up well there's a reason why you don't see knuckleballers in the major leagues i mean unfortunately it's just it's a tough pitch to control and i've got to imagine that when you're throwing at altitude i mean you need some density of air to get that ball to do the uh, the unpredictable things that a knuckleball does so if he's trying to do that in albuquerque and reno and las vegas and el paso yeah, that that ball's not going to flutter quite the same way, and instead it's just going to sit up there on a tee for guys to launch it. Yeah, and it being the Pacific Coast League, when you hit it in the air, it just flies. Right. Days. Right, and that's the other thing about a knuckleball. You're not really burying a knuckleball down at the bottom of the zone. Right. You have to aim for the middle of the zone. You can't. It's not like a slider where you can just bury it down low. Because you leave a slider up and you're going to hang it, they're going to bang it. But right. a knuckleball, you got to aim for the middle of the zone because who knows where it's going to go. And what do they say about knuckleballs? If it's low, let it go. If it's high, let it fly. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. <laughs> so Jackson Merrill has been kind of the big news out of uh, early on out of the Arizona Fall League. He made Baseball America's hot sheet where he's hitting 400, 480, 550. He's eight for 20. Five runs, a double, a triple, no HRs, but five RBIs. Four base on balls with only three strikeouts. 
Merrill has been one of the most impressive players in the first week of the AFL, just as he was in spring training in the regular season. The Padres' first rounder from 2021 has used a picturesque swing to make lots of loud contact that sends balls to all sectors of the outfield. Behind the scenes, Merrill's makeup and leadership qualities earn high praise as well. He could shoot up the rankings with a strong AFL campaign that reinforces what he did in his limited in-season action. That's some, that's some, that's some pretty high praise coming from Baseball America. Usually they're Usually they're really not so high on guys. Like, you know, the language that they're using there uh, isn't usually as, as fluffy, I would think. Well, I feel like after this great season that he's had, there was the interruption with the uh, the wrist, you yeah. know, the, the fracture in his wrist that he had. But outside of that, he just checked all the boxes. He hit for average. He got on base. He showed really good play, play discipline. He's got all the power. You know, I mean, he's got the 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 frame where you can yeah. see he can add a little bit more. But he's a line drive hitter. He's not selling out for power. Um, and he's just doing all the right things on and off the field. Um, he, I've got to imagine that he's really in the Arizona Fall League. Everybody's there for different reasons. Right. With him, he missed out on that big chunk of time. So this is probably his chance to make up those whatever 50, 100 At plate bats. appearances that yeah. he wasn't able to get in the regular season just to just to keep his development on track. Yeah. Um, but if you, it seems like everybody, like uh, Eric Longenhagen of, uh, of Fangraphs just came out with an article where he talked about kind of reshuffling their rankings, um, and they moved Merrill way up because I think I feel like a year ago – he was kind of an unknown. Yeah, he right. torched the the Arizona Summer League, uh, but yeah, don't Everyone know if he's going to stick yeah. at shortstop. You know, what are those numbers believable? Well, now you've got enough of a sample size to see that it's legit, and and the guy's on a great trajectory. Yeah, absolutely. And and you know, with Arizona Fall League, you have various levels of play. You have guys that are from A ball. You have guys that are double A AA or triple A. You have your veterans that are there. So you have all this, you know, differences of. Uh, of of competition so he's definitely seeing higher competition than he would normally see in a ball so it's a good test i think kind of a, maybe a, a litmus test to see exactly where he is uh in his development as he develops i'm curious to see what happens as the pitching gets better because there are some guys that you hear like in in the arizona summer league most of those kids down there they've got stuff you know, they can they can They've got velocity. They got this nasty breaking ball, but they don't know how to control it. They can right. barely throw strikes. But then as you get better, some hitters say that it's actually easier for them to hit once they get to high A or double A because the pitchers throw can throw strikes. strikes. Yeah. And so then they can actually start to game plan rather than just trying to hunt one particular pitch. Yeah, absolutely. And then the roundabout kind of like Terso analysis is the only guy that's really saw too much action. He's been in three games. He's three for 11. He has the double. Um, it's going to be interesting. Like, Terso is almost at a crossroads, even though I think he's still really young. He's younger than Tatis right now. Um, just where he's going to fit. It, you know, he 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 did pretty well uh, in double in A. He made the last, what, couple weeks in triple in A. It's funny. When when he got up to to El Paso, like, I don't know where is it, if it's the uniform, if it's the television, but he looked like a ball player. He looked like a, like he looked like he belonged on a major league roster. You see him in double A. And I know that the uh, San Antonio, that the, the, that's the greatest broadcast, but they don't know that looks like a double A player. It looks like a younger player, but you put him in a triple A broadcast with a triple A camera. Um, and he just looks like a mature, ready to go ball player. Well, he's had the, the physique for it for years. I mean, when we saw him, 
spring training when he was what 17 18 years old yeah. he was already six foot three shoulders out to here he's got calves like dinner plates he's like the guy just he's a physical specimen uh but now that he's grown up a little bit he's got some of the maturity to go along with it uh so this year in uh in the texas league he batted 288 got on base at a very good 355 clip slugged 408 uh, but so you don't see a whole lot of the isolated power there. That's, that's kind of what you're looking for out of that corner outfielder. Yeah. You know, he's a left field, right field. He's, he can play center field, but that's not his eventual home. So if he's going to be in a corner, he's got to hit for power. And this year he was hitting the ball on the ground a whole lot. Yeah. And then when he would get it up in the air, he has plenty of power to get it to go. It's just something about his mechanics, his approach that he keeps putting the ball on the ground. Uh, you know, some guys can work their way out of that and, you know, it, I guess time will tell. So yeah, in, uh, in El Paso, he only played three games, made 15 plate appearances, batted 214, 267 on base, 286 slug. Uh, but just to get up to, up to triple a yeah. at all, you know, he's still only what, 22 years old. So he was like four and a half years younger than the average triple a player. So just to get a taste of triple a was nice. He'll probably go back to double a next year. I you know his performance kind of, you know, he's got to take that next level up really before he can earn the the long-term time up in, in AAA. Yeah. And then watch out when he does get to AAA and see how do you judge the performance? How do you judge the development when you start? And if he starts hitting bombs in, in AAA, is it because it's the Pacific Coast League or is he made those adjustments? Is there something that they're working on that is starting to click? Um, I, I think he might, I think he might start in AAA just to kind of push him forward just to see where he's at, but we'll, we'll see what happens next year uh, come spring training. Yeah. That what you were just asking, I, I really wish I could be a fly on the wall in the development, you know, in what those guys are looking at and yeah. because they've got to have some other metrics and what are they watching? Are they watching walk rate, strikeout weight? I know they watch chase rate a lot, uh, but how do you, how do you separate the wheat from the chaff when you're looking at, at stats yeah. at that level? Yeah, well, that's why, uh, you know, that's why they call it development and not like tell everyone. <laughs> why, for sure, for sure. Uh, yeah, we know that all these teams have their own, like their own defensive metrics, their own, like everybody has their own version of of war, wins against replacement, right? Um, their own way of, of analyzing things. So what we see on these publicly broadcast metrics, you know, there people have all these, you know, okay, well, you got baseball reference version of war. You've got fan graphs version of war. Baseball perspectives has their own thing. They'll do it a little bit different. And I bet the, the actual teams, it's a completely different set of, of measurements that they're looking at. Yeah. Well, Hey, that rounds up the minor league. Uh, that rounds up the minor league segment. We're going to be right back with, uh, with, we're going to talk about the wild card series. Oh my God. Padre fans are finally rewarded. We are finally rewarded with um, a serious wild card series win. Sometimes truth is stranger than fiction. All right, so let's move on to the wild card game. I, you know, I'm going to be real honest. Like, I, I am a calloused. I am a pessimist. I am a guard your heart and expect disappointment Padre fan. And I am married to a no, we're going to lose anyway. That's what always happens to us. Don't even have hope yet. We'll still watch the game. Padre fan. <laughs> Wait, That's but our so, dude. but Liddy's also a Mets fan and she's grown up to think the same thing about the Mets. Right. Hasn't she it, pretty much. So she grew up in New York. Obviously she grew up in New York. 
uh, born in Brooklyn, raised in Port Washington. She uh, she connected with her father playing, you know, watching the Mets play baseball. I don't date in the American League. Uh, I only date in the National League women. Now it doesn't matter, but like that's the way it Wait, was. Was this a um, criteria when you were no, when you were single and mingling? Yeah, like the the girl that did like the Yankees, you know, uh, Jessica. I um, yeah, that just didn't work out. Um, <laughs> it wasn't because of that. It was because of a variety of other things. But um, you know, so she grew up a Mets fan. But in ninety, you know, she moved out to L.A. Uh, in her twenties and lived there for a while. Uh, was still a Mets fan, then moved down here to San Diego in '96, right when they were starting to get good. Right when you know when Chris Gwynn was there, Tony Gwynn was in his heyday. Um, they were starting to get good, and then '98 happens, and she's sold. She becomes a Padre fan. When we meet, she's a Padre fan. Oh, I grew up, you know, my father's still a Mets fan. Like she, like, and it wasn't, you know, it's funny. I said this on the other podcast. I said this on the Mets podcast. Like, where it's a win-win situation for us because if. You know, if the Padres lose, well, her childhood team and her father's team, the Mets win. Um, and I just I go along with whatever because I'm well, used to my team losing. In her heart, she's still a Mets. She's a Mets fan first and foremost, right? No, I've kind of always got. No, she, that no, her. no. She, it's it's a childhood thing. Okay. Now, unlike she's like, Ugh, I don't even want to hear a Mets fan. I, she's like that with the Dodgers. Like, I don't even want to hear him cheer. Like, they get a hit, turn it down. I don't want to hear him cheer. Nice. And I'm going, damn girl has turned on her, <laughs> turned on her team growing up. Um, so we went into this like, okay, so it's gonna be a sweep. We're gonna get swept. We're gonna get swept. And, and I was hoping, okay. I was hoping for at least a split. You you figure game one against Max Scherzer, he's been pitching well. I know lately against the Braves, whatever, but you kind of it's playoff baseball, and you see right. how guys get turned up for the base for the playoffs. And he's one of these guys that gets more turned up than anybody. Yeah. So I figured that Padres were just going into the Lions' den, and they were going to get smoked that first game. So when uh, when Profar let off with a hit it kind of changed things. Yeah. It's like, okay, you know what? There's a little chink in the armor right off the bat. So, you know, if, if sure, I believe that if Scherzer went out and like struck out the side to start the first inning, then the whole momentum of that first game would have been totally different. Yeah. Yeah. And he is so pumped up. Like I watched him. He was pacing in the dugout before. Um, and you're like, here it goes. But what happens sometimes, and this happens to everyone, it will even happen to the Matt Scherzer's of the world, you can get too amped up and too absolutely gun ho. And like he said, his, you know, he threw his fastball, but it was flat. It wasn't moving. He, he wasn't getting the movement that he wanted. And that's probably from, you know, that just minor tweak in the delivery, you know, the throwing it, the emotion that you get uh, and the effort that you put in pitching uh, that makes that little bit of a difference that turns the ball from, you know, darting, three or four inches either way to laying flat and going right down the middle when you needed to break in a little bit. And that's well, just, well, later we're going to get to how somebody does the opposite of that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we saw, and to get ahead of ourselves, you know, we saw a little bit of that with, uh, you know, Blake Snell. Um, right. So then Grisham, Grissom, you know, what was your reaction to Grisham's reaction to the plate? I'm like, Holy cow. Well, wow. before before that was Josh Bell because Josh Bell hit that first inning home. Okay, run. that's right, that's right. And that was the one. It's like okay, the guys that have been struggling the most, Grisham and Bell. Yeah, so Bell hits that home run. It's like oh my gosh, okay, maybe something's happening here. Maybe you know, 
maybe tides are turning. You flip the page at the end of the regular season. And now we know that Bob Melvin kind of had a little bit of that speech to everybody. Like, I don't care what your stats were during the regular season. You know, this is, we're here today. We're here to do this right now. And I trust every single one of you in this clubhouse. Uh, so yeah, Josh Bell hits the home run. And then the top of the second inning and Grisham's home run, it was a no doubter. Yeah. I mean, he absolutely smoked that thing. And, and so when I saw that, okay, Bell hit a home run, Grisham hit a home run. Profar's getting on base. Yeah. And then the guys at the bottom of the lineup really are the ones that have been doing most of the heavy lifting this, this series. So when, okay. So that game right after the trade deadline, when they announced Soto and they announced bell and they, and then Drury hit that grand slam and we thought Tatis was coming back when that happened, Cronenworth had started hitting well and Grisham had shown some signs of life. And so I remember going home from that game thinking, Oh my God, if you've got, Hassong Kim hitting like he's been hitting and all these guys. Now, all of a sudden, this lineup is running nine plus deep. Even yeah. your backups are are a threat. Yeah, it's yeah. been a long time since I've seen a Padre. I don't really think I've ever seen a Padres team that ran like that. Because even the 98 team, as good as they were, you get down toward there were weak spots in that lineup. And so I was starting to feel that way. And so now finally, game one, it's the back end of the lineup that was carrying the heavy lifting. And so it's like we don't even need Soto and Machado to, to, to do all the to hard carry work. The team, right? Exactly. Yeah. You got other guys that can carry the team when those guys aren't hitting. And that's, what's been lacking for so much of the season. It's been Machado carrying everything. Yeah. Machado yeah. and like whoever's swinging a decent bat that week, but now you've got, you got, you've got depth, you've got depth on offense and guys that are putting in quality at bats and they're hitting velocity. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Hassan Kim, he got two hits that first game. Oh, let's see. Click on the box score. What I'm thinking he did a single and a double. Uh, yeah, he was two for three with a walk. Now, after after Bell hit the home run, that was a two run shot, right? Yes, it was. You know, you can at least breathe. I at least I I took a breath. Like, okay, you know, I can. Okay, we're not going to get shut out. Hey, we're not going to get no hit. Yeah, we're not going to get shut out. Right. Um, but you know, there's still that like, but and that allows Darvish to kind of just do what he does, and if. You know, if you give that guy just a couple runs, more than likely he's going to give you six, seven solid, just solid innings of minimal, minimal runs and minimal hits when he's on. And at a heightened, um, you know, critical time in the playoffs, like everyone's everyone's kind of pumped up and kind of trying too hard, really. Um, and he just covered up that lineup. Right. But it doesn't feel like this team's trying too hard. It didn't feel right. that way this week. And maybe getting a little bit of that, monkey off the back that first inning with Profar's hit Bell's home run getting that two nothing lead that lets everybody like you said they can all exhale a little right. bit and some of that pucker factor is gone so Darvish seven innings pitched outstanding brilliant performance yeah. he got one earned run no walks but he did give up six hits so it's not like he was out there just dominating through the whole thing there was there was traffic on the bases so there were a couple of times that there were runners in scoring position yeah. and you're kind of on the edge of your seat, like, okay, one bad thing right here could blow this whole thing open. And it never happened. Yeah. He had guys on uh, third base. I think once with no outs uh, twice. And they had him on third base with less than two outs and we're like, okay, well, you know, oh, sacrifice the run, you know, somebody hit a pop fly and get him in, dude. He just, he, he left him stranded. Um, it, it, Really with this series, you know all the pressure was on the Mets. It was completely and entirely on the Mets. And yes, the the Padres are, you know, it, it, I know they don't listen to the to the hype or whatever. But like, 
if the Mets didn't lose, it was a collapse. If the Padres won, which they did, it's a triumph. It's a you know, it, it's it's not a two hundred thirty million dollar payroll like they spent for the Mets. Um, it's an upset when there's just as many high dollar players and high caliber players and superstars on the Padres as there are on that Mets team. But yet, since it's a New York team, really want to call it the New York bias. Like it was their collapse and not us doing what needed to be done to win. Right. Right. Yeah. Coming into the season, like there was that graphic that everybody's seen of, of you know, ranking the ranking, the, the pitching, pitching staffs in the playoffs and the Padres were last. And then there's all the analysts on MLB.com and picking each of their winners in all the wild card games. Nobody picked the Padres to beat the Mets. Right. So, I mean, it's almost like the Padres are playing with house money at that point. Yeah. Nobody expected them to do anything. Really. And and when you play with that, or at least with that perception, um, it's not, let's just go out and do your job. It's not, we have to do our job. Let's just go out and play our game. But it also gives those do. guys lots of bullets and board fodder. Yeah. Cut Absolutely. out each one of those little things and post it up on the wall and go, hey, pitchers, take a look at that. That's what they think of you. Go out there, go out there and prove them wrong. You know, so so we win the first game and it's like, holy cow. Okay. The second game we're good, you know, when, and once again, that for me, I was okay with losing the second game. I watched that second game just calm, calm, calm. Like, it's fine. It's fine. And then, you know, bringing in Morahone um, and he and doing so poorly. Um, I was still just like, look, we're, we're fine. We're still I gotta playing, admit, we're I still playing with house money. Bit, I was feeling a little bit cocky going into that second game. Were you? I was thinking, okay, Blake Snell's been cruising. Yeah. He's been doing so well this whole second half. That first game, uh, we also got home runs from Profar and from Machado. Four home runs off Max Scherzer, which, by the way, the last time he gave up four home runs in a game, or the last time he gave up seven, seven runs, runs in a game was the Slamarana game. <laughs> Back in what was that 2019? Yeah. Uh, so now, now I'm thinking, okay, the offense is coming coming alive. There's an energy that this team has. Yeah. Snell, you playoff Snell's going to show up and he's going to go in there and kick butt. Degrom's fighting this blister issue. You know he's having his struggles. So Padres is going to go in there and sweep them and make all the Mets fans weep. And then you save Joe Musgrove for game one of the next series. Didn't turn out that way. Didn't turn out that way, and that was fine. So even you know, as as Snell, you know, it, early in the early in the game, I think I tweeted like, "Look, he throws 105 pitches, 109 pitches in five innings. Like he'll be fine." He ended up not going that long. He only threw like I think 85 pitches, and they took him out in the third inning. They but, threw 90, 90 total pitches. 90. But the problem was he he couldn't throw strikes. Yeah, he was all over the place. Does I I don't mean to harp on the umpires too much. But Chris Guccione did not call a, a very clean game. Um, yeah, you go onto his umpire scorecards and see for yourself. It was kind of a messy game. There were you know some strikes that were called balls. Yeah, uh, Blake doesn't get a whole lot of those. You know, it seems like he's he's not the 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 pitcher that that earns the respect of the umpire to get a little right. bit of of, of leeway. He's got to be in the zone, and he was not in the zone. And then Nick Martinez came in, same kind of thing. He struggled to throw strikes, uh, walk somebody. I think he hit somebody. Yeah, he hit Darren Ruff. And then Adrian Morahone came in, and he couldn't get an out. And it was just like, oh, my gosh, do something to stop the bleeding. See, but it was one of those pitches that I think it was to Kenya, uh, Kenya, <laughs> to, to, to Kenna, that he had two strikes on him, threw a, a, a strike in the lower part of the zone, and then we're the end of the inning, but he called it a ball. And then I think Cannon hits a single. 
like, and then they score a couple runs. Like those things are going to go away, not next year, but pretty soon with the automated strike zone. Like you're going to have to do nothing but just sit there and go, all right, that's a strike. And you can't complain. Um, yeah. I, you saw some of that. You saw some of that throughout the whole series. But, uh, you know, and I thought the scorecard, I think he had a 96% uh, accuracy rate. Okay. Which isn't, which isn't bad. Um, I think for the playoffs, they're going to maybe have to do something about that. What do, what do you think? They have to do something to make it, you know, have your better umpires that have a higher percentage. I don't know, but I know well, that there's supposedly that. that's what they they've got this evaluation that they have this internal evaluation metric that they use throughout the year. And the uh, the postseason assignments are supposed to be a reward for a job well done. Okay. But then you look at the assignments and Doug Eddings was behind the plate in one of the first games of that, of that round. So it's like I, Doug right? Eddings. <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure he works his butt off to be as good as he can be, but my gosh, we've seen him just lay some turds yeah. Yeah. at least in Padres games. I mean, it's just been, it's been ugly. And so Chris Guccione, what I found interesting is somebody. So there's another account that like analyzes the data that umpires scorecards generates uh and they pointed out that when the padres have been on the road and guccione's called the padres game the padres have they have this way of calculating favor air quotes favor right right uh so the the calls based on the situation and the game leverage and all this yeah how much impact does that make how many runs difference does that call make you know if you missed a call a ball that was in the zone or a strike that was out of the zone um and he has favored the home team when the Padres have been on the road consistently. Um, and it's, it, it can't be a personal bias thing. I don't, I don't believe that these umpires are going out there wringing their hands going, Oh, I'm going to stick it to the Padres. And I also don't believe that there's anything shady. There's no Tim Donahue's out there. You know, the NBA ref that found out right. he was taking money. I don't think any of that's going on. I think it's just random chance. Yeah. But, you know, at some point, a trend sure starts to look like something. And a trend is a behavior. It turns into a behavior and then it turns into like, yeah, kind of like, yeah. 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 So they calculate it. So overall consistency, 94%. Overall accuracy, 96%. Sounds great. But then 1.4 runs for the New York Mets in that game. And then you, but then you look into it further. Like you're talking about that pitch uh, to Mark Kenya with Morahone. If that's called a strike, that can help stop the bleeding. Then maybe that helps end that inning. Yeah. You know, but then the inning continues on and on and on. And then what happens with the psychology of the pitcher that, I didn't get a call. I threw a good pitch that was in the zone. I didn't get that call. Okay. Now I can't nibble that edge. I have right. to, you know, stay off that edge. And next thing you know, they're hanging sliders because they're afraid of burying one. Yeah. And then uh, what O'Neill hits the, uh, Jeff Neal, O'Neill hits the, the two run single. Um, and, and that game, even, even after that, even after getting so many runs, we got the tying run on at the bottom of the ninth. And was just really a, a home run away, but you know, a, a hit away from getting right back into it in the ninth inning. Yeah, but you're asking for a miracle at that point. It was right. out of slam range when that inning started, and so I, I know that the the Phillies came back on the Cardinals in that one game, which, by the way, was some nice sweet revenge. As a Padres fan, to see Chris Helsley go in, and yeah, I, I, you don't want to see anybody just wither on the vine like that. Yeah, but he just he couldn't get it over the plate. It almost looked like Rick Ankeel kind of a kind of yips. He just could not throw a strike. But there's a little bit of karma there because you don't take the walk up music from a Hall of Famer. 
Yeah. And make it your own. Try to make it your own. Get another song. And Find we'll, another and song. Talk about other series. And then Seattle, you know, the, we're, we watched that Seattle game early on. And all right, you know, all right, it's going to be evened up. You know, Toronto came up, just started blasting homers and, and scoring runs. We went about our day, kept watching that. All of a sudden, they come back. Seattle comes back and wins that game. Meanwhile, we're also watching uh, the Cleveland the, the Cleveland game and Tampa Bay. And it's like, Jesus. Every, every game would like, never end. I'm like, honey, it's, it's zero zero in the ninth. You know, the, we were like in Mary, we were up at Marietta with her godsons watching their games, and oh, it's the twelfth. Oh, it's the thirteenth. Oh, it's the fourteenth. And finally, I think we were on our way home. We were getting ready to leave around what three two thirty in the afternoon. Oh, it was a walk off home. We're like, holy cow! Great for Josh Naylor. Great for Cal uh, Quantrill. Uh, and you know, great for a lot of the Seattle players that are Padres. There's a lot of former Padres in the playoffs that, um, you know, that are no longer Padre fans are no longer Padre. Seattle hasn't been to the postseason since the early two thousands. They've never been to the world series. I mean, you talk about a fan base that is, is, has been just starving for yeah. some postseason action and they're getting the, the most amazing stuff. They were down what? Nine, one, nine, two in that yeah. game. And they yeah. came back to win it, to, to, to send it to the next round. I mean, just an amazing series for those guys. Yeah. So then we go to our game and like, once again, I went to this game calm. I'm fine. Whatever happens, happens. Are you talking um, game two or game I, three now? Now I'm on to game three. So like we're okay. past, so it's evened up. We went about our day on Sunday, came home Sunday night. And I'm like, okay, let's see what we got. And cause we've gotten to bat. So we've saw Bassett twice in a week. We saw him once here. And we scored like a bunch of runs off him. We scored a ton of runs off him. And then the next time we saw him, I think we saw him back at City Field, and he carved us up. And yeah, he's one of these guys. With, when he's on, he can be really good. Really good. And it just, I'm like, I think we have a good shot. I think we really have a good shot at Bassett. And if Musgrove, Musgrove, the way Musgrove has been pitching, he can give you four, five no-hit innings and make it feel like you maybe have a hit. And if we score a run, then then there you go. And it's just, I, I it was just phenomenal. Yeah, I, I pulled up his game log here. Uh, faced him in July. He threw seven innings, uh, four hits, two runs. Um, the uh, the Padres wound up winning that game, but still, he was really good. But then back in June, on June 8th, this was at San Diego, uh, three and a third innings, four runs. Or, I'm sorry, seven runs. So there's kind of the Jekyll and Hyde, like what Chris Bassett are you going to get? And I, I bet they, I'm sure they had it planned that it was going to be a, a, a pseudo kind of a bullpen game. Right. You know, knowing that they need, they need to throw everything they've got out there. They can't take their $280 million payroll and walk away with their tail between their legs. But you they know, didn't so know, they didn't know that Joe Musgrove was going to be peak werewolf yes. Joe Musgrove out there. God, and and it, it, it's such a storybook. It's so, I mean, like life is much more interesting than than art. It's like life imitating art with the hometown boy having to pitch an absolute gem. He has to pitch good, you know, for his hometown team that he grew up watching, and he does it. Like, how often does that happen? It doesn't happen very often. It, it doesn't. And oftentimes it's it's the feel-good thing. Okay, the hometown boy is going to come back and pitch for his team. Uh, but it's rare that the guy shows up and just goes to a whole other level. And it's not just the on the field performance. 
he's a leader in the clubhouse. Yeah. He's it sounds like he's kind of Bob Melvin's personal liaison to all the other guys in that yeah. clubhouse. Like his communication with everybody. Talk about Luis Campusano comes up and he kind of pulls him aside for a few games before the start, and they're he's helping him learn how to work up a game plan. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's like helping this guy mature. It's like maybe that's what Campusano's needed this whole time. And and now Someone you got to, somebody that can do it on and off the field and just right. the complete package. And he's great with the fans. And yeah. he's making commercials for freaking Poway Chevrolet, whatever yeah. it is. I haven't seen the Poway Chevrolet. I've only seen the Saquon. Oh, Maggie I hear ears. it on the I hear it on the radio. Oh, do you? I made yeah. a mind, Maggie ears. He walks in with the ball. Don't drop <laughs> it. A girl ball. Hey. Does he just walk around everywhere holding the baseball? Is that what he does? Yeah. Well, I mean, I, it's funny things. I got a baseball in my office at work, and I've had a major league baseball in my office ever since I've had been f- managing. <laughs> um, so to go back to the game, you know, we scratch across those two runs in the second, and it's like, here we go again. Like, once again, I was able to just be even more comfortable. Like, okay, we scored a couple of runs. They have to at least score two. Still not feeling like I, I felt calm, but I'm like, we're still going to lose the game. That's what happens. I'm a Padre fan. We don't have good things. Good things don't happen to us. Right. Okay. So let me read through the sequence of how those two play, those two runs scored in that yeah. second inning though. Okay. So Josh Bell struggling all since the deadline singles on a sharp ground ball to right field. Um, and then a couple of outs, Hassan Kim draws a walk. Trent Grisham draws a walk. And then Austin Nola singles and drove those two runs in. So this is all guys at the bottom of the order that haven't been producing a whole lot, especially down the stretch. And Austin Nola has been hitting pretty well the last couple of months without getting a whole lot of attention for it. But really, you know, it's, I know people talk. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit of small ball. And the first game, the, that first game was all power based with all those runs were scored on home runs. So now in this next game, we're seeing a little bit of small ball and there was a stolen base later in the inning. There was a bunt that I think Juan Soto laid down a bunt. He was trying yeah. to get a hit, didn't get the hit, but he got the runner over. Uh, and, and so then scored on a Manny Machado single. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's the playoff. So this kind of stuff, it it, it means more. Those play those those outs that kind of you feel like they're throwaway outs during the regular season. Those aren't what pad your stats that help you earn more money in arbitration. But when when the 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 rubber meets the road, yeah, that's how you score those really important runs in these playoff games. And this team has struggled so long this last in the second half of the season of doing that, of hitting the home runs. I think we were like twenty fourth in the amount of home runs. Like we we don't hit a lot of home runs for the team. Yeah, um, that was that other thing about that that first game. They're all talking about oh they don't have any slug. They can't hit right. that. They can't hit velocity. Boom, four home runs four off home Scherzer. Runs. Yeah. And that was what? a big stat. Like we didn't get a lot of our home runs off of fastballs. And then the second game, you know, this last game, this team has struggled mightily. And we've watched this get guys that are on first and second, no outs, second and third, one out, and just not get that hit and not get the hit. And I remember the pitch that Nola hit, it was a hanging slider, <clears throat> 87 miles an hour, right over the plate. And he just rivaled it to the five, five hole. Boom. Yeah. Two run score. Yep, and, he, and it wasn't again, like they, he was trying to come out of his shoes and and blast it. He's right. just trying to square it up, right? And and that allows. I mean, it, it changes the the psychology of the game. It it really does. And the other team, okay, so we now we have to try a little bit harder. Now we have to attack Joe a little more different. And then he just every time I saw him hit the ball, it was roll over to third, roll over to second base, a, a soft pop fly into the outfield or a front foot connection you know um except for the one ball that 
you know, that, that, uh, that Grissom caught in the outfield, everything else was really soft contact. Oh my God. That catch in the outfield. That yeah. was an outstanding catch. Yeah. I, what we don't see on TV is how quick his first step is. So we sit in center field. So I get a look when the ball comes up. And by the time my head goes, cause I've learned when there's a fly ball, I don't watch the ball. I watch the outfielders. Right. But by the time I turn, he's already on his second or third step. That's how quick he is to, to, to get moving. He traveled so far into that right center field gap to get yeah. to that. And then he was right in front of the fence where a lot of guys would be starting to kind of, kind of cringe and protect themselves. They, they feel right. that wall coming on him. Right. And that was a couple of years ago. That was kind of a knock on, on Grisham's defense was when he got around the fence, he, he wasn't as reliable. And now he's just nails when he comes close to the fence, yeah. outstanding play. And since we're talking about defense, I got to talk about Will Myers. He made three ridiculous plays at first base in that game. You know, it, he was right before I left work. I jumped on Twitter to look and Hosmer was trending. I'm like, what happened to him? And it was every, every, every tweet was about Wilmar's making the catch. Wilmar making the play and how Hosmer wouldn't have made that play. The ball that bounced, I hit down the line, bounced on the bag. And then he just kind of like grabs it up on a, on a rebound from the basket. And then in the same motion, tosses it to Joe perfectly for the out and got him by a step. He had to get way up there to get to that yeah. ball too. Yeah. So it takes some hops and some height. Uh, and then there was the one, there was the hot shot that was, I think off Darren Ruff that was right down the yeah. line. Yeah. And both of those, if that bag, if that ball hits the edge of the bag and it kicks either direction, it's over him. Yeah. And then the one that was right down the line, it, it skipped off the dirt and he was able to make that pick right down at the ball, at the, at the ground, step up step on the bag, throw it to second base. Didn't get the out of second base, but still outstanding play. If that ball catches the edge of the grass, then it's going to kick a few inches to the side and he's not going to be able to glove it so cleanly. Um, and I'm trying to remember what the third play was. There was a third play that was just cat-like. <laughs> so <laughs> fan graphs and their little write-up of the, of the game today, they were talking about the plays that he was making and they said it was as if there was a, a mouse in his hat pulling right. on his hair to make the plays <laughs> like in Ratatouille. Like Ratatouille. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, okay, I, we were wondering if, is that a toupee? Is that extensions? Did he get some, some, uh, some, some plugs to, to freshen up that hair? No, he's, he's had a rodent hiding in there this whole time. That's just pulling on his hairs to, to help him make the plays. He has. And, you know, I was like, I was okay with him swinging at first pitch. Like I'm like, God, you know, like, God damn it. But he hit the ball hard a couple of times and, you know, he almost hit one out once. Um, I would have liked to see him a little bit better at bats there, maybe see a, a pitch or two. Um, but, you know, every time he swung, he hit the ball hard. A lot of these guys are jumping on the first pitch. Yeah. And I, I wonder if they're paying a little more attention to the scouting reports now than they were in the regular season because the game means that much more. Right. So then you start to see the the numbers on, okay, this pitcher is going to throw a slider first pitch this percentage of the time, or they're going to throw in this quadrant of the zone this percentage of the time on the first pitch. And so they know that they can sit on it, on it. And I feel like that's what Manny Machado has done really well all season. He's waiting. He knows who's going to throw a first pitch fastball, who really tries to get ahead with strike one and camps on it. Yeah. So then the game goes on and like Liddy's not watching because she can't watch the game. Even when we're winning, she can't watch the game. And I go, look, they had a shot of his, of a Musgrove's head and his ear was just, it was all wet, dude. And I'm like, Look at his ear. Like, what's up with that? Like, 
it looked shiny. I mean, I'm sure even though it's cold, he's sweating. Like the guy's playing ball. It's like there's sweat, but I noticed it. And I said something and I ended up, you know, uh, rewinding it back. I was, Look at his hair, dude. Look, what's up with that? Thinking it's just a weird kind of thing. Fun, whatever. It's just a weird shot. His ears, he's got these giant cauliflower, these, these Princess Leia hair ears. Um, <laughs> no big deal. Right. I don't then, think so. And then, and, you know, I like Buck Showalter. I think, you know, he, I think he's an excellent manager. I, um, I liked that he did this. It's a, it, it's, it's, it's reeks of desperation. Like you have to do something to break the guy up. You know, how we were, you know, calling timeout a lot, uh, during our at bats, you know, breaking up the tempo of the pitcher. Um, that seemed to be a little bit of a, a, a story, uh, during the game uh, all weekend. Um, but it's above board. It's perfectly legal. Right. If the umpire is going to let you take time and step out, go for it. And I'm not going to lie. I'm like, okay, here we go. Like, I don't, and that wasn't questioning Joe's integrity, but it's just, they could have felt something wet and go like, oh, what is this? You know, they would have had to smell it. It would have had a scent. There would have been something there that said, okay, it's not it. Even if it was um, not sticky, but if it was like, you know, if it was oil or something like that, but it was sweat. Uh-huh. Right. Uh, they didn't say what it, if there was anything. They just said there wasn't anything. Yeah, they checked his glove. They checked his hat. They checked his ear. They checked his other ear. They kind of caressed the side of his face. How and can you, you not be romantic dude. about baseball? Oh, my God. And you see Manny, and he's laughing. He's like, really? Come on, man. Because he Come knew on. what was going on. I, I mean, guess. even if they're – so I'm sure as part of the tactic is even if you don't find anything, you're still interrupting the pitcher's yeah. rhythm. Yeah. But I think it completely backfired. It yeah. pissed Joe off. And you see, yeah. there's that picture where you see Manny and he's like laughing to the dugout, but you see Joe and he's got his lower jaw sticking out and he looks just pissed. Yes. And he went, he went off after that. Right. And so and the inning, the- baseball, they pointed out that before that he had thrown one pitch that had over 3000 RPM. After that, he threw five. So he didn't have anything on him. But he's just as the adrenaline was getting up, he was yeah. ripping those pitches and making yeah. those curveballs just dive. And then he finished the inning and then does a sniff across the nose. What was that? What was what was it's, that? A, it's it's eastbound and down. It's um uh, what's the character's name? Uh, it's like Danny. smell you later. That's what he would do. It's like yeah. he's wiping his snot and flinging it. Smell you later, sucker. That's what oh, that was. Danny McBride. Yes. Oh That's what God. that Little, was. Oh no, kidding! And then later on, did he then the, was it the next inning? Then he did the ear thing, and he's like, ah, and yeah, to the, to the crowd because the fans right. were all giving him hell. Cheater, I can only imagine cheater. what that was yeah. like. And Manny was getting them all pumped up, yeah. and I think this team feeds off that. Yeah, yeah. I mean, we saw that in two thousand when there was nobody in the stands, and they were getting all worked up over over the Dodgers pulling something, and they're getting all. I feel like that energy was back and, and that's part of what Grisham feeds off of. I'm sure of it. Yeah. You know, some of these guys, they can do it every day for 162. Some of them, they need to have the hot, the hot lights on them. So let me read a little bit of what, what uh, Buck show Walter. We got about five, three minutes left. Um, this is what Buck said. So we had privy to a lot of things that go on in that direction. Obviously show Walter said after the game, I love him as a pitcher always have. That's the only thing I kind of, I feel kind of bad about, about it. But it won't cast anything. He's too good a pitcher, and they're too good. Without getting into a lot of things, the spin rates and different things that I'm sure you're all aware of, uh, when you see something that jumps out at you, 
I get a lot of the information in the dugout. I'm charged with doing what's best for the New York Mets. If it makes me look however it makes me look or whatever, I'm going to do it every time and live with the consequences. I'm not here to, to not hurt somebody's feelings. I'm going to do what's best for our players and the New York Mets. I felt like that was the best for us right now. There's some pretty obvious reasons why it was necessary. Um, and he goes on to talk about the spin rate. Uh, there's a lot of adrenaline in a game like that, said Melvin, who uh, venomously defended Musgrove. Uh, a sign that Musgrove was amped could be found in his velocity. The average speed of his all six of his pitches were higher than his season average. Increased velocity also means increased spin. The velocity increased included a 1.9 mile per hour uptick on his changeup, which is not something a pitcher wants. Musgrove acknowledged Showalter's maneuver piqued him a bit. After striking out Tomas Nito for the second out, Musgrove did make a gesture towards the Mets dugout. That does not mean anything nice. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's the just, whole the wiping the snot thing kind of reminded me of, you know, flipping the bird or something like that. You know, it just I, I think for, you know, to kind of wrap things up a little bit here, we went to the gauntlet of, of sports. Sure, Dodger Stadium is going to be pretty loud tomorrow and it's going to be all about the Dodgers tomorrow on the broadcast. But going into New York and and silencing that crowd, those rabid New York Met fans, um, I think absolutely has to give the team an additional boost of confidence um, that, you know, they don't win. They don't go in there going like, oh, we're the underdogs. They're going to go in and they go in like we're prepared. We do our work. We're ready to play. But it just I think it gives them that much momentum to when things do go right, that they can capitalize on it and, and kind of and kind of go on with it. For sure. Um, I wanted to read something the Mets broadcaster Gary Cohen said after the game. Um, He said, it smacked of desperation and it was fairly embarrassing, I thought, for Buck to do that in that spot. It was not necessary. As it turned out, Musgrove was not cheating. And if you're going to pull a stunt like that, you better be right. And Buck wasn't right. But yeah, what you said, they are bringing so much momentum with them into Dodger Stadium. And I like that the Padres, you know, it'd be nice to have a few days off. Yeah. But I like that they're bringing this momentum with them. And yeah. meanwhile, the Dodgers have been sitting there getting cold. Yeah. And you are going to the game. We have less than one minute. You're going to the game Friday and uh, Friday and Saturday. Yes, we'll be in our seats. Okay. So you guys look for Roy out there. Uh, he will be posting the uh, your starting pitcher, uh, I believe, on Twitter. Oh, yeah. Before the, before the game, you can find me on Twitter at SD Donovan. I am at Zippy underscore TMS. Go Let's Padres. go Padres! Obituary. Oh yeah, great old Bobcat. Won't look back. How many?